0: Hi, this is Christine McHugh. I'm the intimacy coordinator on Obliterated, and welcome to Obliterated Companion. Three, two, one, let's finish this.
1: Welcome back to another episode of Obliterated Companion. I'm Peter, and you guys. A uh, really exciting interview, and I know I say that all the time, but this is someone that I've been chomping at the bit to speak with since since the beginning, really, because it's it's a uh, it's it's a job unlike any other, and she'll tell us all about it. But Christine McHugh, intimacy coordinator of Obliterated, how you doing?
0: I'm doing great, Peter. Thanks for having me on the show.
1: Yeah, re- really excited. It's over because you know when when I reach out to people, often it's um. You know, email or whatever, I'll just send it and I forget about it. Right. Because uh, you just never know people are busy, whatever the reason is. But when when you replied, I was I was really excited. You know, and and the fact that you said that I listened to some of your interviews and people have been talking about me. So, sure, let's do it. So, um, (laughs) yeah, really happy to have you here uh so so many things to talk about um let, let's just start off with the the title in- intimacy coordinator can you kind of talk about like that role and kind of the history of it and and um you know how it came about
0: well i'm sure you can understand i mean now we look at it and it seems like such an obvious thing that's needed in the you know the film work and film and television workplace because it's really about kind of helping to navigate a um culture that had uh encouraged a power differential between the people in production and the talent and in particular new to the industry talent which doesn't have a lot of clout and so there was you know there was something of a quid pro quo the old um uh cliche of the casting couch uh was uh something that was a real part of things because people could very easily exploit um people that didn't have a lot of power in this industry and um the role really came to light around i, I i'm guessing 2016 2017 with uh the hbo show the deuce um in which uh it was the the story was about the rise of the porn industry with the advent of video in uh, new york in the 1970s and so a lot of the scenes involved actors playing uh adult performers porn actors and um they were recreating a lot of adult uh scenes um in the series and i imagine it would be very, very difficult for an actor to be in that situation and not be treated as if they were a porn actor, as opposed to being an actual, you know, legit straight actor in a TV series for HBO. So um, I know that at one point, um, the star of that show, uh, Emily, one of the stars of that show, Emily Mead uh, said, I really need somebody on set to be my advocate, to act as more of a Uh, uh, kind of to run interference with a lot of the, uh, you know, the casual attitude people are having about me that's not respectful. In other words, I think she was basically, um, the complaint is that it's not a professional and respectful workplace as it starts to morph into the workplace of adult film in the 1970s, which is a very, very different time. Anyway, she got together with a um, uh, HBO responded to this and uh, they hired an intimacy coordinator named Alicia Rodas, who came to uh, it from the world of theater, fight choreography and um, uh, intimacy choreography that she was starting to help uh, pioneer in theater, in the theater world. And so they came together and the director who I'm happy to say I'm excited that I just worked with, I'm working with right now, was the director of that original TV series, and um, with her and Alicia Rodas and Emily Mead, uh, they kind of decided what the protocols needed to be in order to be that disruptor of a power differential, to be an advocate for the actor, to help creatively by contributing ideas about the best way to stage intimacy. Uh, and we're talking, uh, that's often referred to now as hyper exposure. So scenes of nudity, uh, simulated sex or sexual violence. Uh, we have um we're we're trained to understand a lot about how the cameras work and how to create the illusion of these kinds of uh, actual scenes by simulating them. And so that kind of uh, input creatively, the collaborative aspect of it kind of formed a new role that was starting to get a little bit of traction. and then the Harvey Weinstein scandal hit and all of the world. Uh, could not deny the fact that this culture existed in the world of television and film. And so I uh, at that time, I was the president of a an international chapter, uh, an international organization, uh, New uh, Women in Film and Television International, and I was the president of the New Mexico chapter. And I had been, I did that for about four and a half years. In that time, I was really intent on being an advocate for women's issues, uh, women working in the industry. And uh, so, when the Harvey Weinstein thing broke, I kind of kept my ear to the ground about what was going to happen, uh, how the film industry was going to have to respond to um, the whole situation. And then I started to hear the rumblings about this role called intimacy coordinator. Well, in looking at what was necessary for someone to call themselves, I mean, for someone to train up and then um, get ready to be that person in the field, uh, the skill set was insanely deep. It was it just pinged all over the place. It was everything from fight choreography to understanding all of uh, what's happening on a working set, understanding those dynamics as well as hierarchically. Um, Things about um, uh, uh, dealing with uh, difficult conversations, really, really important because you're a lot of this is having very difficult conversations with really powerful people. Uh, the idea of trauma-informed care, because uh, this is, uh, it's very, when you're talking about sexuality uh, on, people carry, they have baggage about this. There's there's uh, many, many people, and I, I'm not gonna specify, I, I, I wouldn't generalize by saying only women, women predominantly um, will have a lot of traumatic experience in their past. And so it's how to spot that and how to deal with that when triggers happen in these scenes. You can only imagine what that might mean in a scene of sexual violence. So um, that kind of thing, um, the idea of uh, not being queasy about sex, you got to be able to talk really frankly about that. Um, The It just the list just goes on um, being able to deal with being sensitized to the um, marginalized communities around gender identity and sexuality, and um, being able to be inclusive in all of that and being able to feel welcoming so that um, somebody who may identify as transgender doesn't feel marginalized in the work that they're doing. And, and also kind of in that way, being a stand for an inclusive and um, uh, you know generous workplace, so that uh, you know we do that in the language and all you know and how we speak about uh, uh, the different intimate acts that we're talking about, how we speak about the different characters that are described in the story. So there's a lot of sensitization that needs to happen, and primarily we're there as the advocates for the actors in these scenes. Um, it's always a joy when we're called on to contribute creatively and that doesn't always happen and uh so when it does it's a it's it's really special for me i think it will be happening much more as people become more um uh, uh, you know acclimated to what it is that we do and they start to see the value of it because What happens when you have someone on set that's doing this role is it makes things go a lot faster. It makes things more efficient and more effective. So everybody feels safe. The biggest thing is being able to protect the actors so that they can be their most vulnerable. And that allows them to bring the best parts of themselves, the whole parts of themselves, to the embodiment of character And everybody benefits from that. So that's really a a big thing. And I think, I mean, really, it is month by month, almost week by week, how much this is changing so that people really, really appreciate the value of what it is that we do and what our contribution is. It's been wonderful. Uh, It's been a wonderful change in the three years that I've been doing it.
1: Yeah, you mentioned being a liaison. Um, I remember speaking with Kimmy and she said, you know, they're like advocates and, you know, they, they, or no, no. You said adv- the word advocate. She said, "You know, like you're like a liaison between her and and whomever." Um, it, it, yeah, it sounds like a, a, a lot it, 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 um, needs to be known, and uh, a, a lot of training a, a, as well, um, because you you have to kind of understand roles of uh, different um, different people, like in production as as, as well. Um, can you talk about? So, so I, I think there's something that also needs to be made clear that you're not like a nudity police or sex police, uh, you know. So you're not there to give anybody a hard time. Literally, an advocate and liaison to make the the the, the actors comfortable.
0: That's it. You know, and and it's a good point, Peter, because in the beginning we were kind of looked at as the sex police. I remember the first director I worked with when I started to suggest that they might want to go in a certain direction with the staging of the scene, kind of in a more Tantra like way. he he said, What is Tantra? And so I explained the idea of um that kind of uh present um present moment experience in the body and and how the uh the you know focus of energy and and you know channels or chakras and the whole idea of you know uh of postponing climax um to make uh uh the it situa- the uh, experience much more intense and more connected. And he was just slack-jawed by the end of it. He's like, people do that? And I'm like, yeah. He said, I can't believe you're telling me about this. I said, why is that surprising? He said, well, I just just thought you were here to tell me all the things I couldn't do. And I said, oh, so you didn't the memo, right? We, yeah, we don't right. know yet what this role is. So let me brief you on what it is that I can do for you. And from that moment on, we had a really pleasant collaborative experience. So it, it really is uh, something that, you know, is growing and changing. And the way we usually do it, Peter, is when um, I'm hired and I get the script, I kind of break it down for all of the scenes of intimacy that I noticed. No, in obliterated scene, season, season one, episode one had 10, 10 count them 10 instances of uh, of intimacy. Now I usually don't even get 10 in a whole season. So 10 in one episode was like, well, okay, all right, here we go. And um And once I break those down, I meet then with the uh, creative team. So that may be the showrunner, the director, the um, first AD, always the first AD, and um, may involve costumes and anybody else that could be really integral to helping to realize the vision. And then the person who's in charge of this, and I think it was probably primarily, it was hard. John, Josh, and Hayden were, were sharing so much of the responsibilities, they would basically describe, I I would give them a breakdown of what uh, is written in the script. I said, this is one I've got. And then they would describe how they envision it. Like what does it, how does it go in their mind? What are they going to do? When does this person move their hand this way? When does this part of clothing come off? Um, That kind of stuff. So it's very specific. I take very, very uh, elaborate notes uh, from this meeting. And then I send them back to them and I say, so before I talk to the actors and get their um, permission, their consent in all of this, in, in playing all this vision of yours, I wanna make sure I got it right. So they then sign off on that and they say, yeah, that's good. I go to them then and I say, so this is how the director envisions what's going to happen. Are you in accordance with that? And will you agree to doing that? And, um, Primarily, they say yes. And if I notice any hesitancy, even in the yes, it's my job to kind of dig in there and explore that a little bit and see if that's a really, really enthusiastic and solid yes that they're consenting to. Because- um, a sad truth about the profession of acting is uh, there's a long storied culture of being uh, of learning how to say yes to everything. If you don't say yes, you there's the image you become difficult to work with. You won't work again, and um, and actors are trained in the improv tenet of yes and. You know how do I contribute and build on that through my imagination. So um, no is not generally a uh, a first place that most actors go to. So I get them um, sensitized to the fact that that is a place that they can go and because I tell them basically there are a million roads to Rome. If the act if the director sees this, there's a lot of ways to get there beyond just this first idea that they may have come up with. So um, when the actor understands that, we can have a really full and honest conversation. And generally they say yes to what the uh, director envisions. If they don't, we'll start to come up with some compromise action. And then I'll take that compromise action back to the director. And we'll look at that and see, you know, we'll kind of massage that idea a little bit and see which is the, what's the sweet spot um, for both the actor's uh, comfort and the director's vision. We agree to that. Take it back to the actor. Actress says yes. Then we get to the point where we're going to uh, we're going to drop a nudity writer, which is a contract that the actor um, very we very specifically state exactly what action the actor will engage in, uh, what level of nudity, what level of simulated sex um, in the Uh, obliterated. It was interesting because the legal department for uh, Sony um, wanted to cover acts that involved um, uh, groping, dirty dancing, and uh, scantily clad. Now, generally, nudity is only considered anything that is not shown, uh, anything that is not covered by a swimsuit. Right. Anytime that happens. So they were um, doing more coverage around that, saying things like scantily clad, like thong bathing suits and things like that. So so that was a lot of nudity writers. That was a lot of stuff that was getting drawn up for every episode, for sure, because this is a hard R-rated comedy. I mean, it is it harkens back to the kind of sex comedies of the 80s you know and um that's what these guys wanted to recreate and have a really funny blend of sex comedy and action uh you know story so uh which they did incredibly well and uh and so it was it was fun i just i i've never been hired full time to work on a job and it was a full time i mean i was there at least four days a week, maybe three days a week, some days. And there was just so much to to kind of manage. So once we decide on that, the nudity writer is looked over by the actor and the actor's management and it's signed. Then we have, uh, that needs to be signed 48 hours before we go to shoot the scene. And if anything changes that it, uh, involves more action, uh, more, more hyper exposure than is originally um, stated in that nudity writer, we have to stop the clock. We have to do a new nudity rider. It has to wait. It has to be signed, and then we can't shoot for another forty-eight hours after that new um, rider is signed. These are the kinds of things that I'm kind of managing to make sure everybody knows that um, again that people are being protected and that uh, you know we're trying to do things effectively and efficiently. That's why they've got me in the mix there to make sure that those conversations are happening. So um, when we go to set uh, to shoot those scenes, I talk to the actors beforehand about the nudity writer, remind them exactly of what we've agreed to and what's going to be shot. If anything goes sideways during the shooting of it, they need to take me aside and I will intervene. You know, I'll, I will be there to, again, advocate for them and what they've agreed to. And um, just basically look out for their comfort the whole time. Sometimes I get involved in how to make the scene a little bit more effective, you know, maybe it's an idea of uh, if we kind of stack the action, the act, uh, characters in a certain way, and we shoot it from this angle, it will look more realistic, like this action is happening. And um, and you know, sometimes it's as simple as they're going to need a chair. They're going to somebody's got to bring a stool in for this person to sit down, or and hold this person because they can't do it standing the whole time. Or maybe it's as simple as. I'm starting to see this actor's eyes glaze over. Three hours in a shower is too much. We have to stop the, we have to bring this to a close now. So, those kinds of things are my contributions. And I'm really excited to be able to do that. I know the actors are so grateful for having me there. And what a great crew it was to work with on this show. Great actors, great crew, wonderful showrunners. I had it was, a, it was a rare experience, Peter. It doesn't always happen that way. I, yeah. And here's the biggest thing I want to say about uh, intimacy coordination is the job really is predicated on a deep relationship of trust. The, the showrunners have to trust me. The directors have to trust me. The actors have to trust me. And that's very, very hard to accomplish when I'm brought in to do three days on, on a show, which is right. kind of a little bit more of the norm. With this group, I got to be with them for four and a half months, and we developed a really, really nice relationship of trust. And then I was able to really fully do my job, bring my full self to the job, and it was wonderful.
1: Absolutely. They, uh, that's fantastic to hear And you know for anybody that's listened to the cast interviews, they've all said nothing but great things about you um even and, and Shelly mentions it starts with the t- at the top you know with John Josh and Hayden and you know you're speaking to that as well. Uh, you, you keep mentioning um uh, nudity writer and I'd like to uh, understand that a little bit more I, I, is that an actual person a writer and it, it sounds like it's also like uh, like an agreement um for for the actors as well
0: yeah the the word is spelled r-i-d-e-r and it's another word for contract basically Mm. so um so it's a specific contract about intimacy that really itemizes everything and that means uh you know the actors protected the the actors usually um run this by their management so that everybody their legal team sometimes um you know they may legal team well often i i actually i am going to mention the story because uh, terrence talked about it um there was some stuff in one of terrence's scenes that his management didn't think um thought that it was putting him in a uh a light that i they they really want to encourage his re, re, um his reputation uh with children as a performer that children can um you know connect with and uh trust and all this kind of stuff and some of that action that he was being requested to do had the chance of threatening that reputation, so um, that was the pushback on that, and completely understandable. So when when those kinds of things happen, it's like we're gonna just be in conversation about it, and we're gonna we're gonna figure out how to make everybody comfortable with it. So that kind of stuff works really well uh, with you know management and 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 the nudity writer.
1: Now um, I'm just kind of looking over at some of the things that you have done. So fight choreographer, you did mention that earlier as well. Um, And that's not necessarily like tied to like uh, martial arts or anything like that. It's just kind of understanding how people move because uh, you are also stage director, writer and editor. So how uh, kind of understanding how, how to move people on stage. I'm assuming that's also very beneficial to on film.
0: Yeah. Um, uh, so I have a um, a master of fine arts in acting, and I was an actor for a while, and then I went on to teach and direct. But um, when I was in graduate school, I got certified with the American Association of Fight Directors um, to uh, as a certified stage combatant. And so we had to do um, uh, we had to uh, do stage fighting with a lot of different weapons, and that was how you did your final exam kind of thing. It was a practical exam that you know. People judged you on. Um, In so doing, I learned the tenets of fight choreography, which is it's not about um it's about creating the illusion of violence through a very, very practiced and safe and and choreographed um uh set of action. And uh that turns out to be basically kind of the tenant of creating simulated sex or sexual violence um that it's all highly choreographed we are we are equivalent very equivalent to stunt coordinators on set i think nick said something about that i was so happy that he did because it's like that's a great understanding of the role um we as stunt coordinators are there to ensure the actor's physical safety we are there to ensure their emotional safety as well as their physical safety too because oftentimes physical safety comes into the the realm of the action that we're responsible for um it's it's all choreography you know it's it's like you do this and then they do that and before you do this you make eye contact with that person so they you they know you're going to do that and that's how we keep each other safe uh, in the thing, and so that's a uh, a really good basis to come to intimacy coordination from. And there are many, many intimacy coordinators out there that are stunt people. That's how they come to it from that world.
1: Oh, interesting. Now, um, if you can talk about like uh, uh, kind of booking role of intimacy coordinator on, on a show like we'll, we'll just go with obliterated and you mentioned about um, you know it's being nice to to, uh, to to have some collaboration what kind of uh, talks early on in the stages are, are, are you uh, a part of if, um, if there's some sort of meeting you have with the actors that will be revealing things and if there's some sort of briefing that you have to give so that way you're not having to repeat yourself every single time with uh, like individual actors
0: yeah, that's a. Uh, we don't have a, a, a it's not a group uh, meeting in which we talk mm-hmm. about intimacy, but everybody is briefed exactly on the intimacy coming up for the next episode on everything that it's going to involve that they'll be involved in. So yeah. I'm there to kind of talk to them about that. And uh, that's after, of course, I have a very thorough conversation with the whole production team about how they want it to look. Um and it's and it goes great. You know, I, one of the interesting things was I, I I'll talk about this uh, anecdote because um, I know that uh, it, it's been out in the press because John, Josh and Hayden have been talking about it, which is the scene um, involving Tommy's character Haggerty when he strides out of um, the uh, the the room at the end of episode one and says, you know, uh, Haggerty has left the building or Elvis has left the building, whatever he's saying there raises his hand up because he's completely obliterated and then he he's completely naked and um, he uh, falls through the glass coffee table. Now we had created this very expensive uh, prosthetic penis for him to wear so that he would um, not have to show his, you know, full, uh, you know, a full reveal of who he is. And that's generally how we do it. um, Especially with male bodied uh, performers we will often create a a fake penis so that they are not that exposed. And it was funny because Tommy was like, there's no reason for me to have a fake penis. I'm totally comfortable doing it this way, which I... Full props to his courage and um, commitment to the character in the scene. So we got this going and we got it all set. And then we're able to go. We're just getting ready to shoot the thing. And the three guys are standing next to me. And there's been a lot of excitement as we try and troubleshoot things in the very, very last minute. And they look over at me and they go, oh, my God, your job you know, what? there should be a reality show about what you do. I want to just follow you around and talk about what you do in your job every day. And it was a, it was really funny that it was a nice bonding moment because we all got a chance to kind of come together and in, in figuring out how to handle something and doing it, uh, doing it well, coming yeah, out on top. I-
1: you know, well, you, for, for those that don't, I mean, no, nobody knows because I haven't mentioned it. But uh, you know, I we we spoke a few days ago to kind of just get some formalities out of the way and, and kind of a uh, game plan on how we were going to discuss this. And I mentioned I'd be all for that. You know, that's that. I, and this I, I think is kind of a glimpse into what you do. Obviously, our our conversation, and so I, I would totally watch uh, all the things that you would have to go through. Um, just just some of the other things that you teased. Uh, are you able to kind of? Speak on the prosthetic, um, because Haggerty is uh, an EOD specialist. You know, uh, you know. So he's even even his his fingers, right? They're kind of mangled, and and two are like infused together. Uh, what did that prosthetic look like? Because uh, I feel I I read somewhere maybe that it was supposed to kind of you know uh, also have like burn marks or something. Is that correct or?
0: Well, um, I, I don't remember that being true for his, uh, the penis prosthetic, okay. um, Stevie Bettles, the prosthetic, um, uh, fabricator is an incredible artist. I mean, mm. he's the one who did the prosthetics for, um, Haggerty's hand. He's the one who did the prosthetics for, um, uh, Yvonne's ear, oh, although it's, it wasn't Yvonne. Um, that's, that's the actor's name. Um, I can't remember the name of the character, but, um, uh so he he really devised some beautiful things and i want to give a full shout out to the special effects makeup artist who applied this every day brian perkel did an absolutely wonderful job on this so um So what would happen is, you know, Tommy would have to be in makeup for a long time. And I don't doubt for one bit that that might be one reason why he didn't want to do the penis prosthetic, uh, because it just takes time to do all these things. And, you know, Tommy uh, just, you know, he's kind of the he's kind of the epitome of gonzo acting. He just makes really (laughs) funny, great choices and he's just a real, real top notch professional. So it was just a joy to work with him and watch him do what he does. Um, and it was that, that was kind of how it came about. So there, there are prosthetic pieces that are in um, that are a lot of different characters have to wear. And it's kind of a—it's onerous because it takes a lot of time in the makeup chair to put those things on. But boy, does it create character. It's really, really fun to work with that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, I bet. Um, There's something that you mentioned that uh, I I didn't even think about, but so in in terms of your um, equipment, let's call it, right? Like uh, you you mentioned that you you have like some sort of gym bag with things like that. How do you kind of put together these things? Is there basically like a, um, you know, for the intimacy coordinators, these are things that you need. How do you come up with uh, the things that you own?
0: Well, the good thing is, Peter, I went through a pretty rigorous training program um, to become an intimacy coordinator, and um, I became certified at the end of that. And um, one big aspect of that is how to develop um, and source the materials for your kit, because a lot of members of the crew um, carry a kit with them, hair, makeup. Special effects, you know these kinds of things, and um and we will bring them to set on the day that we're working. And one of the big uh things that my kit contains is a um, intimacy barrier. So um by our the guidelines from SAG-AFTRA, it, we basically have established that there need to be kind of three layers of barriers between performers in any act of simulated sex. And I'm going to speak. Uh, you know, that could be intercourse or oral sex and, um, the, in the, uh, situation of, um, simulated sex, it's usually both performers are wearing, um, a, uh, a, a, what's called a modesty garment. So it's basically like strapless underwear and it's uh, taped onto the performer's body so that it's really, um, it's really secure that it's not going to come off in any way. And it gives the illusion that that performer is nude and they n- never are. Um, there's always that first barrier uh, in the nudity garment. And then we have a barrier that we put between them. And depending on what the act of simulated sex might be, it could be anything like, uh, uh, you know, I've used uh, uh, like uh bicycle seats you know uh, you, you know the um the kind of gel inserts that yes. uh, uh that are put inside the uh, spandex holders for a bicycle oh. seat i can use that uh, sometimes i use that sometimes i use um a uh, uh, yoga mat foam that's been cut uh in a certain um configuration and sometimes if it's um uh, uh, sexual act in which uh, the it's female dominant, so uh, a, a woman is a straddle, a female bodied actor is a straddle, a male body actor um, will have a, a slightly inf- slightly deflated Pilates ball, so oh. that they can balance on that ball. And give the illusion that they're having, you know, a female dominant sex, um, and uh, so we have all these little things. Then we've got tons of tape. The amount of tape is, I mean, I think it's probably akin to what a lot of customers might carry. But we have, you know, waterproof tapes. We have tapes that will withstand, you know, sand and dirt and you know all, all sorts of things. So that again, that the actors are really feeling protected um, when they're wearing whatever garment they need to um, at, as their first layer of uh, barrier. And um, then we have uh, things like, well, I have crazy things. In that kid. I, I have crazy things in that kit is all I can say. So, um, for example, I have a 14 inch um, uh, dildo. And the reason I have a 14 inch silicon dildo is in the situation in which a male bodied actor is going to simulate masturbation. Mm. They would put this dildo um, like between their legs, so they would, it, it, it would, you know, and they and usually we don't we don't see anything at that right. point, so um, we're not looking at that. If they're if we're if they're um, simulating the action, but we're seeing them only from like the waist up, um, right. they sit on this dildo and put it between their thighs, so that basically the distance between the seat. And the top of their thighs is like five inches, six inches, or something, and then it starts to become a more realistic dimension for them to be uh, working the simulated masturbation, and uh, and then that's uh, you know that none of that shows, but it gives the feeling of that kind of action. So um, so you know having and I I actually think that that. That prop may have made it onto the scene in the uh, big uh, hotel orgy at one point or another because uh, things get pretty wild in that in that little scene. Um, but uh, that's what it's there for. You know, I mean, it's whatever I can use that's going to help me to create the illusion of something happening and that's not normally on the set. Nobody else would have anything like that. So I carry that kind of stuff with me. Lots of things like foam cups that uh, go into... Um, um, the, uh, intimacy, the garments of, uh, actors, uh, you know, you know, to create barriers and things like that. I got tons of mints, very big on mints. <laughs> you're, you're, you're
1: looking at something. Are you looking at your kit?
0: I'm, I'm looking at my kit right now trying to figure you, out. Oh you yeah. A big one. A big to one. you share
1: on camera? Just a little flash. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I'll show you this. Um, okay. Uh, so here's some things. Uh, this is uh, an example of a uh, intimacy garment for a woman. Um, okay. Again, it's a strapless thong. Here are the directions on the back on how to use it. Sometimes we use a tuck kit, which comes from the realm of um, drag performance, um, in which uh, I perform, um, a male body performer is creating the illusion of having a female body, and so it will be a. Uh, strapless thong, but it's made completely out of kinesthesiology tape. So it's very stretchy. it's very um it, it it's really secure it it really holds well um because you know they're tucking genitals up be, uh, behind their uh, between their legs and in the back of their body. um right. here's a here's a I'll give you this. this is a um a cup that uh, um, would be put into a male body performers underwear mm-hmm. undergarments and this one i use a lot this one i used a lot on uh, obliterated and it's a it's a hockey cup so right. it's a hard um uh protection uh, about things and uh, it, i use it be- I use it because um male body performers feel more secure in it you know they don't you know it, it feels like they're really being protected and and that's what i like to use for that kind of thing so yeah, yeah. so there's that stuff. And, and again, very, very weird to take through TSA when I'm traveling.
1: Yes. <laughs> that, that's actually something I was going to ask. I did because I had a couple things before we get into like maybe some of the, the scenes and, and stuff that happened obliterated. So you kind of tease it up. Anything you're uh, um, willing to share about going through TSA with your kid uh, <laughs> okay. and and also earlier. um I, well, maybe we didn't come earlier, about, you know, it de- definitely did when we spoke the first time uh, about language, you know, like using proper scientific terms for, uh, you know, anatomy and, and things of that nature, uh, if you can shed light on that.
0: Yeah, so um, well, the joke is when I first had to go, I had to travel with my kit. I was talking to some colleagues about what do I do about this, and they did encourage me to just pack it in a bag and send it, you know, uh, not through TSA, you know, use it, uh, you know, check it in because you don't want to be dealing with that. They still, it's so funny though. It came back and it had been opened, and I got the little note from TSA saying that had been inspected, which made me laugh pretty hard. Uh, But yes, you're right, Peter. The idea, uh, again, because we are very much a stand for creating the most professional and respectful workplace that we can. um, One of the ways we do that, uh, and I am pretty committed to this, is we only speak about body parts and sexual acts in clinical terms. We don't use slang. And uh, that's in order to keep the way we often talk about body parts and uh, sexual acts uh, in slang um, away from to make the separation between the personal and the professional. So it's uh, and it's odd because I'll use terms that people have never heard before and they laugh about them because they may not end up adopting them. And I am always using them. You know, I'm trying not to to stray. But so the biggest one is, you know, um, the uh, what we commonly refer to in slang and common parlance as the butt crack, is actually uh, the intergluteal cleft. And so we'll speak about things like how much of the intergluteal cleft is exposed. Um, you know, do we see uh, one um, uh, uh, gluteus up to the cleft? You know, we talk about those kinds of things. So that's uh again, it's it, it it sounds like a little persnickety or, or it sounds a little particular and um maybe a little uptight about how we're doing things. It really is to try and telegraph the message that this is a professional respectful workplace. We're not using slang uh in how Absolutely. we talk about it.
1: yeah. No, I, I think there's um I mean, if, if you look at it, like if you're using slang and people are, are joking about it, yeah, you kind of lose that little professionalism and, and maybe people aren't taking it as, as serious as, as they should. Uh, what, what are some other uh, terms that we do not use? Um, I wouldn't even say often, like just because that, that one that you said, I'm going to have to get that from, from you after we're done here. But um, just because we're so used to the slang and, and, yeah. and maybe most don't know is one. Uh, well, the,
0: I, I don't, I don't know that there's too many more that you wouldn't know, but I mean, okay. we'll, we'll you know, we refer to uh, oral sex as cunnilingus or fellatio. Well,
1: um, yeah.
0: uh, we, you know, we'll say an erect penis or an erection um, mm-hmm. instead of, you know, using any slang for that. Um, owner
1: hard on. right? Yeah, exactly. Right, yeah, we don't, right, yeah. We don't
0: say that kind of stuff. And, um, and, you know, it's, 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 the thing that people don't get is that, While we're in the story, the story may have all sorts of wild elements to it. Um, uh, Sex and violence, you know, things that don't exist in our lives. Yeah. And we are, we are trying to approach this with the same level of professionalism, professionalism and respect that would exist in a if you worked at a bank. You know, right. you don't you don't sit around the water cooler and um, make jokes, uh, make inappropriate. I mean, you can get fired in America, of course, if you're sending emails that have pornographic images in it okay right. here's a good
1: example
0: <laughs> so um in working with uh scene uh episode three uh the hotel orgy or what is commonly known as jeff's fuck fest uh yes. is that um we uh, i had to talk to Joel about um how he envisions the scene and he said it to me at one point i want you to come and we're going to have probably six, seven to nine performers, and I want you to um, create configurations uh, that are, you know, convey the um, tone and tenor of an orgy. Um, uh, you come up with those. Uh, give me an idea of some of the positions that you would put these actors in and combinations of we looked at it. And we looked at combinations of two people, combinations of three people. And um, you send me ideas about what this is. now. Like I said, one of the things we learned in this certification process is that's very likely going to happen for us at one point or another, where we're going to be transmitting pornographic images via email. And so we have to create a very elaborate protocol about disclaimers saying this is what the reason for this is. This is why this has been consented to and uh, uh, requested by both parties. And, you know, I mean, before I said so I'm, you know. I'm doing that thing like I was talking about where you're uh, you're uh, searching for pornographic images. And I found a really great site where they were all illustrated. So that was a little bit better than having to pull off, you know, things from the adult film world. Um, And uh, but you open yourself up your computer up to that point of being just completely infected by the porn storm, you know, where uh, so many cookies and stuff get you know, place there. So I have to be very careful to do everything incognito and I have to keep, you know, my cookies out and you know, do all that kind of stuff. So that's one of the things that kind of has to happen uh when we're doing this. And so from those illustrations, we came up with some really good ideas. And one of the things that I was so happy about uh, how that scene went, because I I mean, I give so many props to these featured background actors who were so brave and committed to not just appearing very, very scantily clad, you know, uh, there was a, a lot of nudity in that scene, but to do, be involved in simulated sex acts in a wild party like that, um, yeah. they 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 were just really wonderful to, you know, to work with and to just to be so, you know, vulnerable to make themselves so exposed in that. So it was, it was a, it, the the shooting of the scene, we did it as quickly as we could because it's, you know, and there's another scene in which the, the um tactical weapons expert kevin was with me we you know we're there by the monitors together because this is both happening in the same scene not unlike me working with the animal wrangler uh when the camel comes in on one of the sex scenes it's like what intimacy coordination work happens ever where you're standing next to a tactical weapons expert or an animal wrangler, or maybe both at the same time. It was pretty wild. So we did that scene. And when the scene completed, the first camera uh, person came up to me and said, I just want to tell you that that's the first time I've ever seen a scene happen in which there were so many people on their knees in that hotel room and you had knee pads for all of them and uh that kind of attention to detail and the level of the actor's comfort is very impressive and I was like that was a really really nice compliment I was it was very nice to have that noticed yeah
1: you were very prepared you know Mm -hmm. uh do you um remember like going through the scripts, I don't know how many you get in advance, and and, and I feel there's probably you know kind of changes throughout as episodes go and and filming. Uh, but do you remember a moment where you looked at something and like and, and kind of just had that you know the rock moment right where one eyebrow goes up and you're like, I, I wait, wait, what, what's going on? What, what, what are we doing?
0: <laughs> oh, absolutely, and that's the scene with Terrence uh, in the, uh, <laughs> in the attic. Uh, that was so hardcore i mean i'm like well we've never seen male genital torture happening in any tv or movie i've never seen anything like that, like and, that no. and hearing it and not only and it's in an action comedy and it's like well this is really going out there you know i know the the total squeamish factor that the guys are going for in this kind of thing and it was really really oh it's tough I will tell you uh, Terrence is just a joy to work with. I mean, he really he was so great and committed in that scene and um so was Tobias who yes. uh John, who oh man, what a great actor. He he played such a skeevy guy and is the nicest guy in the world. Uh but really went off on uh you know creating this crazy psychopath. And, um, so yeah, when that came about, I'm like, what? I don't even know. And one of the things I did to set that up that day was I had to talk to the crew beforehand. And I said, so listen, what we're going to do, we're doing, you know, for, it's all prosthetics and it's all, you know, movie magic. So nobody's in any kind of real jeopardy. The hardest thing about that whole thing was both, um, uh, uh, Terrence and um, Allison. Uh, Allison, both Terrence mm-hmm. and Allison having to have their hands over their head and stand right. there for so long, you know. Right. So that was something we were always um, re- being really careful about. But um, you know, we're not really doing any of this stuff, and we know that there's a t- the whole thing is to is squeamish, you know. It's mm-hmm. a, it's just to just get everybody, you know, turning away and laughing as they do it. But the truth is. This is very graphic and it's very violent, right. and um, I want to give everyone who's here and involved in this the opportunity to opt out of being involved in it mm. because um, this may be too much for some people to have to be involved in to watch, and um, and that's part of my job too. You know, it's kind of keeping uh, taking care of the psychological safety of the crew as well you know so i'm advocates for them in some ways as well so that's that's that happened on that scene it was very it's long long night for that. <laughs> I, I bet
1: um so i i you know i was uh, approved for screeners so i saw i saw the show pretty in advance and um you know i i uh, i correspond with john often and and uh he's like because i mentioned i go it kind of sucks like i I get it so early i I have no one to talk to about this he's like you know you can talk to me and so i would kind of uh you know live message you know him as i'm watching and i remember at one point i said you guys aren't going there are you and then i think you know the scene cuts to you know the, the other team and they're doing their thing and they come back uh we come back to to trunk and it happens and then i messaged him again i go you guys really went there, (laughs) you know? So I, I didn't even think they were going to, I mean, I thought they were going to shy away from that, you know, and it was just going to tease us and and just give us that, that like, Oh, you know, like uh, this could possibly happen. And, but, but no, they really went there. Um, Oh gosh, that, that scene. Yeah. I, uh, and now I can't, I I can't get that out of my head. Um,
0: (laughs) Well, I will say that that, that was, I think that was the, the most, uh, eye ra- eyebrow raising um scene that I came across yeah um uh and then the other one was you know wow that first episode 10 10 scenes this is hardcore man we're not we're not they're just coming out of the gate they're roaring out of the gate with this kind of stuff so yeah uh I I, I want to talk a little bit more about some of the actors um there they're such charismatic people um that you know even it, it, they're just amazing. Um, and the kind of chemistry that was created between them to create this idea that they really are a team was really something. And I I, I really loved working um, with Nick and Shelly because they are so good. And, um, you know, they're not in love with each other. They're not they're not uh, they don't have a, a romantic relationship off screen. They are um just consummate professionals in far as creating the reality of that. And it felt, it felt real. The chemistry is really strong. And so being a, and they were, so easy to work with, you know, I mean, I could talk so bluntly with them about, um, staging, um, their, you know, their sex scene, their simulated sex scenes and, um, you know, and just feeling like I'm really taking care of them. You know, that one scene where, um, it's the one in the hotel room where the, the hotel conference room where the camel comes in and, uh, and, uh, the, uh, characters are having uh, standing um uh simulated sex and in which uh uh the uh, he is holding her and um uh, that could not happen for the amount of times, uh, the hours that we took to shoot that. So we had to bring a a, a tall stool in, um, in which she could sit on, and um, we would sh- we would use that stool every time we shot them from the waist up. And um, that's the kind of stuff that I felt like I needed to take care of them with, you know, figure this out because that would just be brutal for Nick to have to try and and you know hold another person's weight for at least at least four hours that it would take to shoot that scene
1: yeah wow so i i do hear this um term a lot uh as well a closed set can can you explain what a a closed set is and you know i i envision like oh you know we're only going to keep who's necessary so what about those other jobs and and um you know if so if somebody has to leave like who's for example holding the boom mic and, and and things of that nature
0: well what uh... Anytime I'm on set, it's basically a closed set. Anytime an okay. intimacy coordinator is there because it's going to involve, you know, this. Now, n- that's not necessarily true. I've been involved lately in scenes that were just uh, kissing. And um, so that doesn't need to be closed for that kind of thing. But certainly if there's if there's a nudity rider necess- necessitated, I'm going to be there. And, and it's going to be a closed set. And the closed set means only essential personnel. So certainly a boom mic operator is going to be involved in that. It's going to be the cameras. It's going to be the script supervisor. It's going to be the grips that are, uh, that are involved in anybody involved in any practical effects, uh, special effects, uh, on the, you know, it, within the scene, um, uh, things like that. What we're trying, I mean, I have in the past, um, asked producers who are not, um, who are not involved in the scene, you know, um, and, and just suggested to them that because it's a closed set and that's hard to do because sure. they're the money people behind this. They're right, the ones right. making this film happen. And yet they're not considered essential personnel on the day. So um, I, you know, will suggest that uh, it would uh, it would be it would be so nice if they weren't there. <laughs> sure.
1: <laughs>
0: because it's uh, you know, they're not considered essential to the the making of it.
1: Yeah. Now, uh, if you can speak on coordinating um, the movements, right? So, like, I'm thinking about um, in episode one, the, the first time Ava and Chad yeah. <laughs> McKnight, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the, the very first time, they kind of get into it, and they kind of go all over the place, on the bed, off the bed. And so I don't know how it's written in the script, right, the actions. So can you speak about the actions uh collaborating and just kind of coming up with uh yeah because i would imagine like you know they want things to also look funny right like it wants to they want the the scene to look sexy but also funny because it's also comedy um yeah just more. and and they want
0: them to look real too that's the thing i remember most about staging that scene so there's the part where um uh mcknight is uh on top of her and above her and she takes her legs and she kind of wraps them around him and flips him off the bed do you remember that part and yes. then the next was this scene... um
1: after he uh, uh bring oh, yeah up condom? yeah this right is after, they've yeah. al-
0: they've already been involved in the simulated oh, okay. And um, and they're going they're kind of going back and forth where she's on top and then he's on top. And then she flips him off the bed with her legs. And the next time we see them is he's behind her kind of in a spooning position. OK, yeah. Well, and this is when he's going to tell her that he loves her. <laughs> and um, uh, and the truth was that does not make sense she can't, and I said this, I said, so she can't flip him off the bed and then suddenly he's behind her. So they have to for verisimilitude, for reality's sake, you have to rearrange yourselves once you land on the floor so that he's behind her and he's spooning her from behind. And they're like, oh, yeah, well, of course. Right. Of course. We want to make it. It's got to make sense. Like, and I'm like, right, exactly. So uh, they took my, my idea on that and that's what they executed and it worked out really, really well.
1: It did. And and I'll tell you what. So that episode, uh, when I watched it for the first time, I watched it with my wife and her and I, we have different tastes in television shows. so We don't watch. We watch almost nothing together. And she wanted to give this new show a try and to speak on the realism of that scene. I felt a little uncomfortable that I am watching this with my wife in the room, you know, present. And, and I, I was a little like, oh my God, is this is like borderline por- pornography, you know? So it looked very, very real. Um, so, yeah, that's up to the team. You, you guys uh, accomplished it. I just, I um, I, I knew it wasn't something that I, I definitely couldn't have the kids around, right? The hard R, all that talk. But even watching this, I was like, I don't know if I want to watch this with my wife now. <laughs> you know, just uh, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and, and I think it was it wasn't for her after yeah the first episode she she was there she was like she was like you like that I go it's hilarious <laughs> yes I do so um and, okay so we, we've uh, spoken with uh, uh, or about um uh, some Ava and McKnight um uh, we talked about trunk what about uh, episode two at uh big willies or do you want to go back to trunk real quick
0: no, no, no. I was going to say, I was going to talk about Kimmy. Um, oh, yes. uh, mm-hmm. We can talk about episodes two. We can also talk about the fantasy sequence. What is that? Six? Seven. Oh. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it's toward the six end. When, yeah. 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 Seven. Um, uh, Kimmy is so great. She's so funny and so quick, so present to things. So she makes things really, really really great and really funny great chemistry between her and Johan i really like that um and uh Johan was really a joy to work with too he was um uh he he just you know he's a real goer and you know the really able to you know commit to all that was done and you know i mean the big thing was you know him uh you know being this you know, big sex symbol with, you know, this big prosthetic penis, you know, that was a big feature of that episode. And um, so that was early on too. And I remember giving a little talk to the crew beforehand. And it's just, it's, I wish, uh, in some ways, I wish that these scenes could have been shot later in the, pro- uh, the process, because I would have more of a relationship with the crew later on. But then in the beginning, I'm like, okay, everybody, we got to, no snickering about this. Here's the deal. You know, we're creating this professional and respectful workplace. And so we just want to be able to, you know, uh, respect that, to, to make the actors feel as comfortable as possible. So while these things are going to happen, we want to suppress any impulse. We might have to snicker about it or, you know, nudge each other in the elbows about what's uh, nudge each other in the ribs about what's going on. And uh, and again, the crew was fantastic. They were all really, really great, but it was really fun to work with Kimmy and uh, Kimmy in the uh, fantasy scene that she has with Nick uh, with McKnight was so fun. That was by the end. I mean, we all knew each other really well, so we could be very um uh easy going and there was a lot of flow between the two of them and I could get in there and I would be talking to John and I'd say, I'm thinking he goes, go tell him that. Go get in there. And you know, which is one of those really beautiful things because uh, you know, directors have a lot of power, and they tend to, you know, kind of hang on to their their uh, authority as being the person who gives direction. But for John to be so generous to let me uh, get in there with them, um, we really created a very fun scene around the kind of stripper pole and the party bus, and it was uh, it was it was really fun. And again, that's because you know, huge props to the actors who are so. Um, Open and willing, and quick witted, really present, have great ideas, really good yeah. instincts. They just played yeah. on, so fun.
1: Yeah, you're right. The great ideas, like I, um, I, I didn't know this until I asked Nick. I go, what about the finger in the mouth thing? And he said that he kind of came up with that, and you know, talked about her coverage and stuff. And I was like, that really stood out. And th- th- you know, that that's how I consume things. I just, I see these little things. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. I wonder how that came about. And so that's kind of how I I kind of asked my questions. Um, Yeah. That, that one uh, was fun. What about the, the hospital uh, as, as she wakes up and kind of walks out?
0: The hospital is a blast because it was such a montage of um, the the wake of destruction that they left behind them. One of my favorites is the gimp from uh, the hotel orgy coming in with a champagne, um, a, a champagne bottle, you know, sticking out of the backside of his gimp suit, implying that it was wedged into his rectum. Uh, that is uh that's some pretty funny stuff and we we had a great time coming up with all that um but yeah uh, kimmy was great in the hotel room and i i do remember running after her as she walks out the hotel doors and uh, not, not the hotel the uh hospital doors as she walks out the hospital sliding doors and we see her from behind with her uh gown open and her um we see her in rear below the waist nudity and she walks out and then she just kind of walks off and there's like there's like outside out there. It's like the set has stopped at the doors and she just goes off. And I'm like, Hey, Hey, remember you don't have anything on and you're out in the world now. So come on back in. You know, that was really funny.
1: So that wasn't a set. That, that was an actual hospital. That was a location.
0: Yeah. Right. That was a location. Really? The actual hospital. Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, that is hilarious. <laughs> so, yeah. oh, I'm just gonna, well, I didn't hear a cut. Um Yeah. <laughs> uh excuse me i wanted to uh ask about uh back to episode two at big willies one of my favorite small characters um i i, I don't want to use that word but uh, one of my favorite um janet uh, uh, janet yeah uh, Jan- janice. Jan- janice 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 right yeah 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 but but yeah, um i i love her she's so funny uh yeah. but at, at one point she isn't she straddling mcknight in oh the- totally we right, had right, all yeah. sorts
0: of nudity writers for her action because there was so much groping. And yeah. um, and uh, Naomi Grossman, oh, my yes. God, what a great actor, uh, really just she came up with so much funny stuff in that moment and she just and they just you know they they practiced some stuff you know they worked out some choreography um together and they were just there for it and uh she just yeah I mean she just completely went for it and so wonderfully committed you know just a really great great comedic timing good sense so it she was really great to work with on that and made the character really come alive even though you say it's a smaller character it's not a reoccurring character Character yet we never know what might happen but right. um uh she did uh yeah she did such a nice job with that that part
1: and uh i think uh one of the last characters that we haven't spoken about is uh lana aka uh, anastasia uh in you know episode four um she she bears all uh can you yeah. talk about uh, that scene
0: Uh, that I, to me, that was very, very reminiscent of the, uh, the way women were showing up in the sex comedies of the eighties. And I think that that was an allusion to that. She was wonderfully professional to work with. I mean, what a talent, you know, the way she could take on, you know, uh Russian speaking Russian in a completely believable way. And then, you know, has the great plot twist. I mean, we, you know, she's living both of these things the whole time. You know, she know we she knows that she is not this uh party girl influencer. She knows she's going to be um what's her name? Uh, the the Russian uh villainous uh what, her, whatever her name is. Anastasia, yeah, she knows yeah. she's Anastasia the whole time, and um, so she has to have a little bit of that going, you know, like like the scene with Maya on the party bus where she asks to borrow the iPad, right? And and then uh, Maya puts it together in the um, you know drug fueled fantasy uh, about what had actually happened at that point. So she knows that the whole time, and she's playing both of those things creating a tremendous depth of character. Like the first scene that we I shot with her was the scene in the hotel room where she's scantily clad, you know, in the lingerie and she's got a ball gag in her mouth and she's handcuffed right. to the bed. And it's like, wow, there's a lot going on there. And I will tell you this, I did not know the 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 uh the surprise had not been released by that time. So I did not know she was Anastasia Anastasia when she was shooting that and she knew it. And it's great. It gives a tremendous depth to what she brings. She's a very talented actress. I think we're going to see a lot of her. She's oh, uh, really wonderful.
1: Yeah. Um, well, I, that, that's kind of all the things that I, I had for you. Is there anything that um, you kind of wanted to speak a little bit more on or any particular scene? Uh, or, or what What about um, if you're able to share uh, something that was scripted and decided against, you um, for whatever reason,
0: yeah, I can't really think about what that would be. Okay. Um, it, it's uh, things that involve me like that. Are, I I don't think I had really any. Um, mm. There may be other things that uh, where the writers went a somewhat different direction with um, the way the plot was unfolding, but it wasn't in, involved me. You know, um, we were here in Albuquerque uh, shooting most of the scenes. Um, certainly, the sets. And the locations until we did Vegas. And you can't, you know, you can't, <laughs> Albuquerque doesn't stand in for the Vegas Strip. So we were there for about mm, a little over three weeks uh, shooting there. And we got access to some amazing locations there. I can't, I can't even believe we were able to shoot in as many places as we were. But, you know, a good example is when we're shooting in the uh, beach club in that first scene, uh, yeah. the kind of, uh, you know, the the pool party that's happening, it was like, I don't know what, 60 degrees, maybe 58 degrees or something. It was cold. Those yeah. performers <laughs> having to be in that, um, you know, swimming pool and uh, for that whole day, that was a lot. It was, it was a lot. People were having to bundle up quite a bit between takes, but, uh, it you know, People were there to be a part of the movie magic, and they really made it happen. It was great.
1: Right. Uh, is is there um, uh, a sequence that you found particularly uh, challenging logistically? Uh, I, I know you had knee pads for everybody, but just anything that uh, you're like, ooh, not prepared for that one.
0: No that was uh, the the hotel orgy was definitely the the biggest one also it's uh there's something uh that it, logistically it's also hard to manage big crowd scenes in strip clubs and at the pool party and stuff like that. When there's a lot of background actors that are scantily clad, that's a lot of people to make aware that they're creating a scene and they're not involved in a scene like that in real life. And um, so in other words, keeping everybody totally hip to the professional and respectful work environment, it takes some doing. It's a little bit like being a lifeguard. You know, I'm, I'm kind of having to constantly scan to make sure everybody's you know, doing things right. You know, nobody's pulling out an iPhone and taking pictures of, you know, you know, the way they're dressed or the way their friend is dressed or whatever, you know? So, so we, that kind of stuff, you know, that, that, that's the probably the most uh, anytime there's a large group of people, it becomes complicated.
1: Right. It, and um, I, I guess on, on that, it, is it uncommon for an intimacy coordinator to have like an assistant to kind of just more eyes on things for something that big?
0: That's a really good point. Usually when it gets over 40 people, I like to, um, I ask, and if it was, uh... I I think I can manage scantily clad scenes, but I've had colleagues um, who've uh, had to do scenes that were um, full simulated sex with over 50 people, like big orgies, you know, the boys or game of thrones or you know some of those those big scenes in which the idea of a sexual bacchanalia is key to the storytelling and so there'll be a lot a lot of people involved in simulated sex that's when i would absolutely uh call uh, ask for uh, an assistant uh somebody else to keep an eye on things yeah but i oh, didn't have to do it in this one
1: yeah and um where can uh people k- kind of like look um well, is there any sort of resources for for what you do, and and um, you know, just if people were interested in kind of seeing, like I guess maybe do these tasks, just to, just the role of a intimacy coordinator.
0: Yeah, there's. Um, uh... One of the first things I would I kind of send people to is to the sag After website, which has they were instrumental in creating all these guidelines for how intimacy is portrayed on screen with the advent of intimacy coordinators. So how to collaborate with intimacy coordinators, what the certification and training process for an intimacy coordinator needs to entail, and then, you know, what all the guidelines are about writing nudity writers and all this kind of stuff. So that's, uh, that's um, a big thing. Um, I have my own website, Christine McHugh IC, and my last name is spelled M-C-H-U-G-H. Christine McHugh IC.com, which um, talks a lot about the stuff we've been talking about, you know, what intimacy coordinators do, how to best collaborate with them, a little bit about what I've done, what some of my qualifications are. Um, I work with an agency called the Intimacy Professionals Association. And uh, there is a big uh, there's quite a cadre of intimacy coordinators across the world that uh for different markets, I mean for Southeast Asia, for Ireland, for South Africa, uh, you know, for Israel, for you know, Canada, um, you know, Germany, there, there, Japan, there are intimacy coordinators for all, all across the world um, within that agency, uh, so people can you know hire qualified professionals in working in those kind of uh, uh locations that are far afield of the U.S. Uh, that kind of stuff. I mean, I think everybody. You know, it, it was what I love the most about this job, Peter, is how quickly it's changing. Mm-hmm. When I first started doing it, the first question I would ask actors is, have you ever worked with an intimacy coordinator before? And almost always the response was no, but boy, I wish you'd been with me on this one show. And then they would tell me a horror story uh, about something that happened. And I, I, you could get a glimpse into an established culture that was really toxic. And um, now uh, I ask the actor and they almost invariably say, oh yeah, two or three times. Uh oh yeah for sure. You know, everybody's now utilizing this. It's not a required thing, but it really is becoming an industry best practice. It's kind of becoming a standard. And the interesting trend that I'm also seeing is that I'm being brought in to uh all sorts of scenes that have very mild intimacy. Uh, one of the things I, I've i done a fair amount is adolescent first kisses. That's something that's uh, often called in for, um, or just kissing scenes or just scenes that involve really mild physical contact, you know, that have a sexual innuendo associated with them, but it's all clothed and, you know, everything's, leg- you know, kind of above board as far as not requiring a nudity writer or close set or anything like that. I've been called in on that. And it, uh, one of the more interesting things that's happened recently was I was consulted about being involved in a torture scene, whether or not I, and it wasn't a sexual torture scene, but whether or not I should be called in for that. And um, that's not really the intimacy coordinator's purview. However, there is a new role being created called a mental health coordinator. And so I was able to um, refer. Uh, a really qualified mental health coordinator for this position, because I think that it's really important for the emotion, uh, the actor's emotional security in a scene as extremist as torture, that somebody is there as their advocate, you know, that they're doing things that they consent to. And that is not, it, it's not traumatizing. That's the big thing right. we want to do. Make sure that we're not right. adding to any trauma in anybody's life.
1: Yeah. I love I love hearing the, you know, um, the culture changing, you know, for, for the better, making everyone comfortable and stuff like that. We'll, we'll end it with this because I just kind of remembered uh, something uh, Nick said. You also clipped this, I, I believe, uh, out, out of the interview about, um, you know, post-obliterated. Well, what, uh, you know, what, what has it been like for you in your inbox and, and um, in your requests uh, for your profession?
0: Well, let me tell you that last year was brutal because of the strike. You know, I I I basically I was on top of the world in 2022, um, really making a living with this job. And I thought I'm on my way. You know, I'm I'm one of the first 40 people to do this in the U.S. And um, and and I thought it's only going to grow. It's only going to uh, expand as I gain more, um, experience and credits, uh, I become more hireable, you know, uh, it, it, it helps experiences, everything for sure. And I thought, oh, I'm on my way. And then it was just a full kind of, you know, dead stop in 2023, uh, like record scratch, you know, kind of stop. And, um, and so I thought I'm I just a little worried about how it was going to come. And then it's all it's 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 roaring back right now, at least in New Mexico, because there were several productions that were uh, beginning filming um, a long uh, a series of, uh, you know, multi episodes uh, that they were going to do in New Mexico. And then they got the brakes thrown on them by the strikes. And now they're picking up where they left off. And unfortunately that sometimes involves shooting here in the winter when it's supposed to be the Southwest in the summer. And that's a really hard thing to (laughs) create, uh, when you're, uh, when you're trying to do that. But, um, I, you know, I just, I, in a lot of ways it feels like obliterated, maybe a once in a lifetime kind of thing. You know, I, I, I'm not really sure. There are not that many stories, um, that, uh, where sex is such a uh, central component uh, of the storytelling. You know, I, I joke about people coming to New Mexico to shoot cowboys on mesas at sunset. You know, that's, that's what we're famous for, and um, so sex isn't always an integral part of the storytelling. Uh, I I I think that with qualified people who are able to kind of um, mitigate any uncomfort or uh, you know uh, making sure safety is uh, foremost in the field, there may be more of this in storytelling, and I'm I'm optimistic that that's going to happen in in this state and uh, across the world. This has been a production of the Companion Network.